Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Todd Jones, recovering from 30 years as a sports writer. Thanks for joining me as I sit down with some of the best sports writers of our time. We knew the greatest athletes and coaches and experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past half century. We'll share stories behind the stories, some we've only told each other. Pull up a seat on PressBox Access. One thing I miss from my years as a sports writer, the characters. And I don't necessarily mean some of the athletes and coaches. I'm talking about the writers. Characters found their way into the press box like ants to a peach. They came from all over. They had stories and they could tell them. Patrick Royce is one of those characters. He's an absolute legend in the state of Minnesota, where he was born and raised and has been part of the sports media for 60 years. 60. You don't need to be a resident of the Twin Cities to appreciate Royce. You'll feel right at home with him. Here's part one of our conversation. Hey, Pat, I've been looking forward to this opportunity to chat with you. Welcome. Yes, it's taken a while for this hookup, and it took a while for me to actually get hooked up this morning, but outside of that, we're doing dang fine, so. Hey, as long as we're hooked up, that's, that's all that right. matters. That's true. That's all that matters. Hey, Pat, 60 years in the business this year. How oh, Think man, about I'll this. See. Well, yes, if I count my copy boy days, that's right. If I count my uh, three years as the Minneapolis Tribune, uh, Copy boy, that is 60 years. The first newspaper job was Duluth in 66. But the copy boy days, uh, when you work uh, two and a half years for Sid Hartman, you learn uh, you learn a lot of stuff about what not to do. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, yeah. oh, it's uh, oh, we'll talk a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about Sid. I I I just wanted to clarify that you did not cover the first ancient Olympics, right? No, I did not. I was I missed those. Uh, I, I I think the marathon was the. Uh, the big event, though, is as far as I uh, recall, eighteen. Yeah, well, it was not the ancient ones, but the where were the first the first ones ever? Eighteen ninety six, right? Wow, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They did not have. Yeah. Uh, they did not have some of the events they have now. I would guess back then uh, they did not have a half pipe. I, I don't think that existed there. A half pipe. They did have rope climbing. <laughs> I once saw. Right. Bring back <laughs> rope climbing. How about no baseball in the next Olympics, but break dancing is coming in. So that's I can see you break dancing, <laughs> Royce. I can I I've actually I think I have seen it on the road. Mm-hmm. Well I uh I needed a lot of tangeray a lot longer the years ago to uh think I could dance, but uh that, that was <laughs> long ago. Well Pat, all 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 seriousness here, a legendary fixture in your home state of Minnesota, uh columnist, still Minneapolis Star Tribune since nineteen eighty eight. St. Paul prior to that from 68 to 88. Not only you've been typing all these years, you're you're in a broadcasting hall of fame. So that shows you how kind you are to join this show. Well, we had a uh, we had a radio show with uh, Joe Suchere that started in 1983 and a version the sports show. And a version of it is still going on. And then we I had a TV show with some great characters too, but the uh, the thing with uh, Suchere was uh, Monday Night Sports Talk, which is a bit of a cult hit 
for the first uh, number of years, and uh, and uh, we're not doing a podcast version of it, and uh, it's, it's been going on for a long time. And you know the thing about that radio money? It's just like walking in there and holding the gun up and stealing it, man, compared to... <laughs> Don't, uh, if you don't take... Well, I got to tell you something. Podcast money is not quite that no, way. No, no, no. Well, just trying to hook up is bad enough. But, uh, yes, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it was a, it was a great, uh, we worked, we did that for the Hubbard Company here in the Twin Cities, and they've been tremendously loyal to a couple of guys who, uh, had no idea what they were doing when they walked in. Right. Didn't you once, like, do the show from your swimming pool, or you, or you used to do it while you were golfing, right? I did a few of those, but not, uh, we, we, those would be more radio hits. We, we actually, uh, usually, uh, did the, uh, did the show in, uh, you know, in, in, in some kind of a studio, although a lot of time on the phone from the road that, that was done too, so. Well, you were a pioneer for, you were a pioneer for writers, you know, breaking into the broadcast area, um, and heck, you're still writing, still doing podcasts. Are you still paying for that swimming pool? <laughs> yes. In fact, I took a, a jump in it, not a jump in it this morning, and uh, and uh, to get uh, to get fired up for the this podcast today. So it wake me up. I jumped in it. Was there any water in it? Oh yeah, it's uh, doing fine. Uh, it's, uh, this year the opening only cost about twenty five hundred. The uh, we we opened her up, thought things were good, but the filter's gone now. We had to get a new filter, so it's always. Uh, it's, if you're a pool owner, you know, uh, the drama every year is uh, what's not working that worked uh, when uh, last fall, and that's that. Well, you've always said your pool is a money pit that has kept you working yes. two jobs all these years, and you're still doing yes, it. Yes, it is. You could have had three more kids if I didn't have that pool I could have uh, paid for, but uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's it's nice for here in Minnesota. You know, you get about a six-week pool season, so that's fine. Yeah, right? I mean, the rest of the time, you're, you're like ice skating on top of it. So <laughs> You know what? I managed to live my entire life here. I tried it in my little hometown of Folder Lake, skating a few times, took some horrible falls, and I cannot ice skate. I am a 77-year-old Minnesotan who can't ice skate. So uh, now I grew up in southwest Minnesota where uh, we, we didn't, uh, you know, it was big basketball country then. So right. we didn't really uh, get into hockey uh, for many years uh, later than that. But uh, Well, that, but the thing is, you, you, you don't know how to ice skate, but you know how to tell those who do how they should. Yes, that's true. Uh, although I am... Uh, you know, my appreciation for hockey is more the characters that we've had uh, come through it than the actual game. Because the, as you know, uh, having it in Columbus, the quotes are terrible after a hockey game. They just, uh, you know, we either played hard enough or we didn't play hard or uh, we didn't. Uh, you know, once in a while you get a loose cannon who will uh, talk in hockey, but the quotes are terrible. But we've had a incredible number of wonderful characters uh uh, starting with John Massett at the University of Minnesota, he was a goofy guy, and then Glenn Sonmore was the the coach for the North Stars and the Gophers, and the greatest storyteller of all time, the late great Glenn Sonmore. And we still have Louis Nanny, a uh, an incredible resource. So the the hockey tales are fun. It's just the uh, the actual going to a game and writing a column off it that's hard. All right, well, give us a Glenn Sonmore story. What's your favorite about him? Oh, what are my favorite? Well, 
he uh, he w- w- went into the stands uh, when he was coaching the golfers. He went into the stands in UMD after a guy who was grabbed, tried to grab one of the stick, and he jumped. This is up in Duluth, and uh, that's the rivalry was bitter. And he jumped into the stands, and he got his shirt torn off. And he's in the stands, and they. This was back in the days when hockey brawls, where they'd give everybody a two-minute penalty, you know, after they hit each other with sticks and stuff. And Glenn got uh, Glenn got back down on the bench, and he didn't have a shirt on, and he had a tie, and he, you know, had a glass eye, and he had he had the biggest grin on his face you've ever seen. It was the highlight of his life that he could be back fighting uh, when he coached the. Uh, um, the the North, you know, he coached the Fighting Saints here, the WHA team. And then he was mm-hmm. general manager, and then he went down to Birmingham, and because as the league was going to go out of business, the WHA, he was down in Birmingham because they were in Birmingham, right? I mean, yeah, hockey. Yeah, that's why they went out the of business. Barons. He was coaching the Barons, and he had Frank Beaton, Steve Dur- Durbano. Gilles Billadou and one of the Hansons, Dave Hanson. So he had these incredible goons. He figured the only way that he could give hockey uh, any kind of a background in Bear Bryant country was just to brawl with everybody. And and he had one photo on his wall later when he coached the North Stars. It was a a sports cartoon from the Cincinnati Inquirer. They used to do... uh, they used to do sports cartoons, and they had Glenn's goons. It was the Glenn's goons. They were coming to town to play Cincinnati, and he was walking <laughs> in. He had a chain over his shoulder, and he had those four guys all chained up coming in behind him with blood dripping off of them. <laughs> and everything. And it, it would be great to have that cartoon. And uh, that, was, it was, that was the most proud thing of his career. It was like slap shot come to life. He sits at the inquire <laughs> felt obliged to greet him. But, uh, I never worked for a newspaper that did sports cartoons. Did you? The, the sports cartoons were. No, I don't think. I mean, were, I was in Cincinnati while the Inquirer, yeah. um, you know, Jerry Doling was doing those great yeah. cartoons. I think that was a fun aspect. They did a few when I worked in Columbus uh, with some enterprise stories that I wrote, but that was only for a few years. St. Paul and Minneapolis, but yeah. uh, they were great when they were, you know, the, of course, editorial cartoons are some of the greatest uh, newspaper people in the world, but we we never had them in sports, which is too bad. All right. Well, let's get back to writing. I want to hear okay. about this. Now, I've heard this story secondhand many times, and it's about the philosophy of covering a team, and I want to get this on the record. Vikings general manager at the time, Mike Lynn, Back in the day, he was a little frustrated with you, Pat. And he wanted to know what your philosophy was for covering the Vikings. What did you tell Mike now, Lynn? You got to know, Lynn and I, even though he was a complete goofball, got along very well. And uh, But I told Mike Lynn, my philosophy of covering the Vikings is when you win, I rip the other team. And when you lose, I rip you. And that was... <laughs> that was that was, uh, he, he accepted that as uh, pretty close to the truth. He was, uh, he was, uh, he, but I do this thing, and we probably maybe get to it later, but I do this Turkey of the Year column, which I've been doing for like 40 years on Christmas. 
The right. only right. guy to ever call me up the next morning, Thanksgiving morning, and say, it's about time, was Mike Lynn. He was oh, that's tremendous. for the honor, Mike Lynn. So I've always had a, but uh, I got to tell you. You called him the remarkable Mike Lynn. Remarkable, print, yes. Right? Uh, Suge yeah. I actually gave him that nickname, Joe Suture, right in St. Paul. But uh, he was, uh, we always called him remarkable Mike. And a lot of people didn't like him because he, he had, you know, he, the issue he had was the smirk. He couldn't wipe the smirk off his face. So it was always looked like he was up to something, which he generally was. So when you win, I rip the team you beat. Yes. When you lose, I rip you. Yes, that was, uh, but, he had, but he asked the question. I'm so glad to get this on the record. I've heard that story many times. And it's one of my all-time favorite sports writing stories. That's when, tremendous. Uh, Lynn was uh, a beauty, to say the least. But I got to tell you about Lynn's revenge, right? Allegedly. Okay. That, uh, All right. Oh, couple, three years later, he called me up and said, hey, we're, uh, we got, this was, this was like the mini camp days were on, but they didn't have those, they, they just had occasional tryouts. They didn't have these long, what do they call, what do they, they. Uh, Bullshit. That's what yeah, they call it. Bullshit. Another, and uh, he called me up and said, hey, we got this kid. We discovered uh, this big lineman, and we're, he's kind of a Division II guy, but we're really excited about him. And be a good column for you, and a uh, really, really nice kid, because we give him a tryout out here, right? You know, it's a, a early summer. Twins aren't very good, so sure, okay. He gets, Let's go see what the Vikings are doing. Yeah, sure. he gets me. Uh, I, I do. I talk to this kid. I do the column. It was... Uh, it was his daughter's best friend's fiance. They were getting married, and basically his present to this kid was getting me to write a column about him at the start. <laughs> he had no chance to make the team. He was he got cut after like 20 minutes, but Lynn fed me that and Lynn said, What do you think? He set you up. <laughs> now we're even. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you were the turkey of the was, day. I least. was I I Took a hook, line, and sinker. He was uh, he was doing uh, me a uh, favor as an old pal, but uh, all is fair in war and sports. Yes, that's, that's true. Fine. All right, you mentioned Turkey of the Year column. It is something that originated in 1978. You hand out Turkey of the Year awards every Thanksgiving. How did this idea originate? Well, I got to tell you the truth. I was still drinking. And it was, uh, you know, as as a drinker, a dedicated drinker, the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving is, is you know, a necessity, right? And uh, I was writing, I was covering the Twins, actually, but I was writing a general interest column for the afternoon St. Paul paper on Thursdays and then a Sunday baseball column, but, uh, and then covering the team. But I'm, you know... There were, there was my buddies out in my the town I was living in prior lake had a big uh, you know the Wednesday that Wednesday night turned into quite a late evening and uh, shooting craps in the bowling alley and doing all this nonsense and I really didn't want to miss that by having to go to a game on Wednesday night and I needed a Thursday column so I and I lived like twenty miles from the St. Paul paper, and I'm driving in there on Wednesday morning, saying, uh, "Yeah, Wednesday morning, saying, what am I going to write? What am I going to write?" And I all of a sudden, Turkey Thanksgiving, and it came to me, okay, I'll I'll name a Turkey of the Year, and uh, I just threw a bunch of guys in there. I think the first here's here's why it worked though. The first one was Woody A's. 
Woody Hayes, because I, I went national. And a month later, Woody gave the guy, punched the guy from Clemson again, fired. So it looked like. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. In Columbus, we say that Woody just, you know, he just <laughs> was patenting. Yes. There was no punch, right? Come on. Yeah, just a little, you know, a little close line. A little love tap. A little close line. Anyway, uh, so then I, I did it, and it, you know, it just, it was going to be a one-off. And then after Woody, and it got a big reaction, so it, I brought it back the next year. In the first four or five years, basically, I was using national guys, Bobby Knight, Steinbrenner, guys like that. Basically, Sid Hartman, you know, the legendary guy, and he was at Minneapolis paper, and I was in St. Paul, and, and basically, I just would name some guy that Sid loved every year, Bobby Knight or Steinbrenner. That was, that was basically <laughs> the theory. You were just tweaking Sid. Yeah. Then in 1983, I, I basically turned it into local. I said, okay, this thing's gotten completely out of hand, and we got we to gotta have some... If we're going to do it right, we got to have some courage here and do it locally. And and the first, I think the first local winner was Paul Geale, a Gopher athletic director, who mm-hmm. was a legendary figure and, you know, a Heisman Trophy runner-up as a football player, signed a big baseball contract, and was very popular and ineffective uh, athletic director. And uh, the uh, so he's the first turkey in my ear on, on that, that's local, you know, that's on that Thursday in 83. And uh, the next day I read in Sid's column that he had bypass surgery and was at the, in the hospital. <laughs> and I never <clears throat> rooted for anybody to live more than I did him in my life, <laughs> giving him the honor. And he, and he did uh, survive that. He, he later did die too young at, uh, of a heart attack. But uh, that. Yeah, you don't want to receive the Turkey of the Year awards when you're receiving last rights. <laughs> that's, that's right, especially if you're the guy who wrote it. So uh, anyway, <laughs> that's uh, that. And then we went from there, and uh, made it uh, made it local uh, since then. And we all and you have guys like Mike Lynn saying, "Hey, it's about time yeah, you made me yeah, a Turkey." I tried to kill it off a few times, but uh, people. So we've had various forms of which it came back. I even gave it to myself one year. That was that was going to be the last one. 2017 or 18, but then it, it it came back again. So anyway, why did you give it to yourself? Oh, what did I screw up? I, I'd mess something up, and I think just just generally speaking, for you know, all, once the newspaper comments started and the email started and the letters with "get into yourself," you uh, you know you know they they did even holler and yell and you know, it always got a big reaction. So I said, "Why not?" You know. So why not? It ended up being taken way more serious by people, a lot of by the public than it should have. It was all supposed to be satirical and uh, everything, and uh, and it it ended up getting uh, getting enough of a life of itself that people, uh, you know, you were, were would get angry about it. Well, if you live in Minnesota, especially in the Twin Cities, you certainly know about the Turkey of the Year awards. Here's the great thing about the Turkey of the Year, though. You can give it to some guy like Woody and then have him continue to be do something really stupid and make it look like you're prophetic. But if you give it to somebody and then they do better, you can say you motivated them. You, so it's, the, oh, the right. Is, credit. You take credit. The turkey yes. is unbeaten. P.J. Fleck, I gave it to <laughs> P.J. one year. And the next, this was on Thursday and on Friday, 
they beat Wisconsin for the or Saturday, that Saturday, they beat Wisconsin for the first time in 14 years. And they were, oh, why are you thinking that now? And I said, I motivated him. He, you know, I, I made him, he, <laughs> I, I, he, you know, I gave him incentive to be a better coach. That was, uh, you know, it's the, the, the turkey chairman, which is what I call myself, has never been wrong. It's either, you know, it's either, yes, you were right, he's an idiot, or uh, you you motivated him. That's it. That's it. It's, uh, you got to. You can never, you can never let the public win when they're complaining about who you gave it to. You know, <laughs> never, never. You never back down. <laughs> I think my uh, one of my favorite was uh, you remember Tim Brewster, the great, great Gopher coach, Tim Brewster, who was a complete right. loser. He was now out there with Dion bringing in forty-five transfers, and one of the uh, <laughs> one of the craziest, uh, just a complete incompetent as a coach. But uh, I. Uh, Wrote the whole thing as though it was giving it to Brewster, but it turned out that it gave it to Charlie Weiss, Notre Dame. Uh, mm-hmm. He had the same flaws, you know. He earned it. Yeah, complete egomaniacal uh, uh, failure. But uh, people were, you're really giving it to Brewster. It was, you just said Charlie Weiss, you know. And then Brewster, <laughs> I think Brewster won it the next year. There's a lot of layers to this turkey to year thing. It's like a Russian novel. It's like some Tolstoy would have put together. At times that it took me hours, I've made it quicker now. There's times that it took me hours to come up with, because you got to come up with a joke for everybody. You know, it's, it's not easy, so. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, you mentioned Sid Hartman, and you were tweaking Sid's friends, especially early on. And you and Sid had, let's just say, a complicated relationship over the years. Sid was another legendary figure in the media world in Minnesota, lead columnist at the Star Tribune, until the day he died in 2020 at age 100. 100 and a half, and we were all surprised he died. Uh, He's the only 100-year-old ever die, and we say, no, Sid, he died. Right. Well, he was phenomenal in his when he in his youth. And uh, when I first gave him a copy, boy, he was a sports editor, sixty three, and uh, back then he was a sports editor. And he wrote five five notes columns a week and uh, did all kinds of radio stuff. And he was, yeah, well, the the one guy I know I was better than on the radio was Sid. He was like, um, he was unbelievable. But he was he was a legend beyond belief, and. Uh, when, when I got to St. Paul, I covered the preps for a couple of years, so I didn't have much to do with them. But King not mm-hmm. only, you know, he was the guardian of the local teams. If somebody was criticizing the local teams, he would be, uh, you know, he would be springing to their defense, particularly the Vikings, because he and Bud Grant were very close. And the Gophers, he loved the Gophers. That was his start. But... uh he was uh, he was gigantic in this town. I I don't know uh, how you who you could compare to. Well, you said one time that Sid was instrumental in helping you develop your philosophy of covering sports. Yes, I did the opposite. 
so <laughs> uh, it was, uh, I, I was a copy boy. And Charlie Johnson was actually the executive sports editor, a crusty old guy. And, but he was writing columns for the afternoon, Minneapolis Star, and Sid was writing the morning. I was a, sitting at a desk there, and these two guys, Van Brocklin, that was from 1965 when Van Brocklin lost a big game. Mm-hmm. He was Norm Van Brocklin, the Vikings coach. Lost a big game, went home, got himself full of whiskey like he usually did, and called up the next morning and said he was quitting. He was quitting as the way he'd taken this team as far as he could take them, and he was quitting. And now Charlie and Sid were sitting next to the desk on that Monday digesting this about, and they were just bad-mouthing him. Neither of them could stand him. He, he abused sports writers, and he was Ben Brocklin. He was a he was a hard guy to get along with, and uh, they were both bad-mouthing him. And then the next day, both of them wrote columns begging him to come back. <laughs> and I said, Ready, that's not what, that's, if I ever do this, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, you know, if I have an opinion, that's right. what I'm going to say. Right. So that, Sid helped there. Well, Sid was, Sid was known for his scoops, but he was also known for ingratiating himself with the power brokers locally, especially. Yeah, one reason he got his scoops is he had everybody in his. I mean, he, he, uh, you know, he, he, he pretty well got. It's funny, he had, a, he had a Calvin and the twins. He was that was a little rocky that relationship, but uh, everybody else, he was, uh, you know, he would. And the Gophers, he was particularly protective of the Gophers. Well, your philosophy, but your philosophy was different. You were like, no, I'm just going to yeah. not worry about that type of relationship with anybody that I'm writing about. So you were not afraid to take on the the powerful folks, especially locally. Oh, yeah, but I, I did get along with a lot of people because, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I, I was not always, uh, there was just, I, I just would, unlike, unlike Sid, I was not protective. <laughs> you know, and when, uh, you know, Smokey Joe Salem comes in as the gopher coach and uh, one of the nicest guys ever, but... Uh, Things just went completely off the rails, and Sid was still trying to protect him. And when you get beat 84 to 13 by Nebraska, it's a little hard to sugarcoat that. So you end up uh, writing uh, rather nasty stuff and say it's time to go and all that, as, as, as they do every, anywhere in the country. It's just we had a little different, uh, different approach here with, with Sidney than with everybody else. But, hey, right. he also... He was a scoop monster his day, man. He, right. He, oh, yeah. He's a first, Listen to legendary scoop monster. Yeah, uh, was he, he reported that that uh, Parsegian, at the height of his success, was going to leave Notre Dame. That was the biggest sports story in the country yes. at, that, and, at that point. Uh, that yeah. was him. And people, the Chicago Tribune, which covered Notre Dame like the whole team back then, and South Bend Tribune and all those papers, didn't, all those people denied it and said it was nonsense. And uh, and then he uh, and then he coached one more game and and quit a couple of days later. And the reason Sid had the scoop is he got it from the guy who was replacing him, Dan Devine. Right. Dan Devine and Sid went back to when Devine was at UMD, Minnesota Duluth, and uh, Sid and Devine were tight as could be. And Devine told Sid, and Sid gave it the Sid scoop. So. That's right, Sid. I mean, that's how, you know, Sid had his sources and yeah. Sid had his stories and his scoops, and that's why he's a legend. Yeah. You know, I wish, I regret the fact that we weren't able to have Sid on this on this program because huh? 
again. He was still writing at age 100. I was just, I'm writing, I'm writing it. We, you know, he was on the, the TV show we did for 20 years, the sports show. It was myself, Mike Max, a local guy, Sid and Dark Star, who was this fictitious oh, yeah. character who became, you know, basically, we created him on Monday Night Sports Talk, and he, he became this guy, and he never bowed to Sid, so they, they fought. But uh, uh, it was, uh, it, that, that was... I, I, I'm reading a thing about a, a, a young auto racer who's an heir to the. I mean, his 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 father runs Starkey Hearing in town and a big company, mm-hmm. and and it reminds me of my one of my favorite Sid moments and uh, Starkey because uh, Starkey Hearing Sid had bad hearing problems and Starkey Hearing took care of him. So every time he went out to Starkey Hearing to get a new set of uh, you know, to to help with his ears and stuff. He would uh he would uh want to give him a plug during the show. So and so one day he's giving a Starkey hearing his great plug and then Max Mike Max says something to him and he goes, Huh? You know it's like it's my favorite moment. The guy was running Starkey then. So I said, 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 if you keep giving us these plugs, you're going to put us out of business. Huh? That's awesome. <laughs> that show was unbelievable. It was the most poorly produced show in America. It lasted for 20 years. But I think one of my favorites with Sid's hearing again is Sid and Steinbrenner were like tight, you know. He was one of Steinbrenner's guys, you know, and... I always took cheap shots at George. Everybody in America took cheap shots at George, right? Right, right. Well, George and I, he t- we're down to Tampa. We're down in Tampa for a game mm. that's going to be played at night. Sid and I, and Sid said, you're going to breakfast with Steinbrenner. So we go out to George's hotel out there in Clearwater. And uh, right right on this side of uh, the, you know, when you go across the bay. And we're... We had breakfast, and George was great. We were to talk for an hour and a half, and uh, and uh, you know, it's been fine. After that, I'd see George and say hello to him. But I was in Barcelona mm-hmm. and covering the Olympics, and George was, you know, that was the year George was going to fix the Olympics. Remember, he was. Oh yeah, he was going to fix the and USOC. He was at the right? swimming, uh, which they were doing outdoors. And I sat with George for like an hour watching the swimming up there. Mm-hmm. I think George liked looking at guys in swimsuits or something. I don't know. But anyway, so about three months later, we're on the sports show, and Sid starts yelling, and Steinbrenner came up, and Sid started, you don't even know Steinbrenner. You never even met him. I said, Sid, you and I had breakfast with him in, you know, six months ago, and I watched, I sat with George and watched the swimming in Barcelona. So Sid says, you went swimming with Steinbrenner? He <laughs> says, you went swimming with Steinbrenner. <laughs> so then I go into the Star Tribune and I get the photographer, I get one of the artists we used to have and say, okay, we need a synchronized swimming thing. So we, we got a synchronized swimming picture of, you know, two gals in the synchronized swimming, mm-hmm. and then we put George in my head on him, <laughs> you know. And the next week, we said, Sid, here's the proof that's on the show we showed. 
here's the proof that George and I went swimming together. <laughs> so uh, playing pranks on Sid was uh, Sid was part of our existence there. Yeah, you know we all miss Sid. I mean, he was such a such a character and such a great part of you know legendary sports writer and figure in Minnesota sports history and. You know, I, uh, we could talk for days about Sid. And, and again, you had a complicated relationship. But, yeah, you know, you wrote his biography in yes, 1997. Yeah, so was, uh, uh, that was always. So it was always cool to see you guys go at it and yet also know that uh, you were comrades in arms. <laughs> yeah, I actually, uh, he's, you know, the the three or four or five people you're going to remember when it's all over. He's uh, he's in that list for sure. He's uh, For he's, sure. Because it was completely unique and hell it. 88, you could be walking down the street with him, and he'd be a block ahead of you. He was still, um, yeah, until his early amazing. 90s, he was an amazingly physical condition. So, All right, Pat, you spent all these years as a columnist, but your formative years were spent as a baseball writer on the beat. Less. In, uh, from 1974 to 78, uh, you covered the Twins as a daily beat reporter, and I think you once said that you didn't find a style of writing until you started traveling with the twins in 74. What did you mean by that? Why, why did that impact you that way? Uh, you know, we were, I was in town. I, I mean, I'd, I'd cover the preps. Uh, I was up in Duluth and St. Cloud, and boy, I was a complete novice, you know. So I started at 20 years old and would use every cliche, the old sports writing cliches of, uh, you know, and use about two quotes in a story, and a 50-inch story and something like that. And a lot of play-by-play mm-hmm. play and stuff, and uh, and then I did three years as a as a kind of an editor and uh, and uh, also still covering preps and stuff. <laughs> then I got on baseball, and I love baseball. My my father was big in baseball and Fulda, Minnesota. We got that thing called Tom to Ball here, and it it was great. I mean, baseball always been my number one sport, but you'd go to you know you'd start off and you'd write this routine stuff, but then you'd, you'd go to Boston and see the way the Globe did it. You'd go to other, you know, you'd, you'd just go. Because, you know, we, you'd have to go out and buy a paper then if you wanted to see what the other guy, you'd have to go down to the Shinders, which is, was the the newsstand down here, and buy out-of-town papers if you wanted to see what people were writing mm-hmm. in, the, in the 70s. And it, I was, I really was not, to, I mean, once in a while, you'd, you'd, Jim Murray was syndicated, and you'd see some Red Smith stuff. But it would you did, to get out and see how some guys did it on a daily basis just kind of opened my eyes. And uh, hey, this should be fun. This should be a this should be fun, and this should be a season long drama, a soap opera. Yeah, this one particular game is not apocalyptic. It was one out of well, 162. You find that right out and uh, right. You know, of course, now and with the social media and everything, we're back to every 162 games, all of them being a, a crisis. But uh, right, but but it was kind of a season-long narrative. It became and and uh, and the first couple of years they weren't real good. But then we got Mock in here as a manager, and he was like a central figure of uh, which Gene one, Mock, right? Right about him. The quotes were always great as long as you waited, but with Mock. You uh, you had to know he was forming his answer, and a lot of people get anxious and wait for it, and you'd, and it took me a while to learn. Wait forty seconds, you're going to get a great quote. I'll tell you how good Mock is, and uh, do you guys use obscenities in here? On yeah, go ahead. 
They're cheap. Okay. So 70, 76, remember the Phillies are, that's the first time the Phillies pop back up, I think, 76. Since their big collapse in 64 yeah, when he was the manager. When he was the manager. Right. Gene Mock. So right. And now, if you remember the Phillies, this is when only four teams went to the playoffs, two in each league, obviously. And Phillies were doing it again. Remember early in 76, maybe September 10th, September 12th, all of a sudden they'd lost a bunch. And that looked like they were collapsing. So Mock, you know, you got to do the story. You got to get Gene there. But he's, the Twins are playing, the Twins played nothing but afternoon games in September every year. And they drowned 2,000, 3,000 a game back then. And I went out there early, and they were taking early batting practice, and he was sitting out, standing out in the grass, weights away from the, from the batting cage. And I came up and made some small talk, but the purpose was to talk about the Phillies. Right. And, and, uh, and I finally said, uh, Gene, what do you remember about the 64 Phillies? <laughs> or, uh, what do you remember about what happened to the 64 Phillies? And he was smoking a cigarette, as always, and he went 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. 40 seconds. He throws a cigarette in the grass and uh, stops it out and says, only every fucking pitch. And then he went for a half hour, and I'm right as fast as I could. I never asked him another question. So it was, uh, that was wow. the kind of guy he was. Out of town writers, I uh, had a hard time, but those old guys from Philly all loved him, and I could never figure out why until I, uh, Frankie Dolson and those guys loved him. Yeah, I mean, you were studying the craft, right, as a young writer. You're learning by reading other writers. Yes. You're learning from a guy like Gene Mock. Yeah. I mean, you even learned how to travel, right, from uh, from Halsey Hall, the radio guy? Yeah, I mean, didn't he Halsey, teach you something? Uh, Halsey was my relative. Halsey, Halsey, Halsey Hall taught you something about traveling. Halsey uh, was this uh, incredible character that was, uh, he was with the Twins, I think, their first 14 years on the broadcast. But before that, he was a sports writer and a radio guy, he was on the Gopher broadcast, and he he covered the Millers for years, the Minneapolis Millers, the ball club. Sometimes they said, and he, he also was on the, uh, WCCO radio was this giant, you know, and mm -hmm. he was, they did a newscast every night at, uh, the, from 10 to 10.30, even once TV showed up, they were, they were huge, but Halsey did the sports, and sometimes Halsey would, do his 1020 sports hit. This one he had a one in the morning deadlines, you know. The, so he'd go to the game, go do his sports. Sometimes he'd start drinking and forget to write his story. So they had to track him down or somebody else had to put it together or something. But he was this great character, but legendary cheap guy too. You know, like a lot of guys from the Depression was uh, was legendary cheap. So he used to bring this valise onto the twins' flights, because uh, we flew with the twins, and uh, they'd make your arrangements, and then the paper would reimburse them. And he got mm -hmm. his police, and it'd be three jugs in there, you know, and it, it would be three bottles of gin. He loved gin, but he didn't want to pay hotel prices, you know, so he brought them with him. And and I, I'd say, Halsey, you know, you get free drinks on the airplane. You, everybody's got drinks. He says, uh, I said, what do you bring your own booze for? He says, Patty, my boy, you never know when you're going to run into a local election. <laughs> but he was, 
was a great, very smart guy, great guy. Well, that was a good lesson for a young rider on the road, right? I only was with him. Uh, I only was with him one year, but he was so much fun. It was it was great. Well, you saw some you saw some great Twins players those years: Larry Heisel, Rod Carew, Lyman Bostock. Lyman Bostock is a guy that people forget about. What a great player he was! Still Tragically, was was murdered at age twenty seven. Yeah. I think he used to call him Jibber Jabber, right? Well, not me so much. He used to call me Poison, all Poison Pen, but uh, we got along great. He was a great, you know, Rodney was, uh, I mean, Rodney and I got along great, but he was grumpy, you know, he was moody. Rodney, and Heisel was quiet, but Bostock couldn't stop talking. And, uh, but that 77 team, you know, they could score thousands of runs. The pitching was terrible. But uh, that was Lyman's last year. And, uh, we didn't, the uh, St. Paul paper didn't go to California, Anaheim, for a three-game road trip one time. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't with them. I get a call at 6 o'clock in the morning at home, and it's Lyman. And Lyman had talked to the L.A. Times and ripped the Twins, right? Mm-hmm. Ripped the Twins about being cheap. And but and the fans, yeah, the fans, they don't support us. And blah, actually, they were drawn pretty well that year. But... But he was he was a very sensitive guy, and he called me up and says, Poison, you got to help me out here. I didn't say any of that stuff. I didn't say you got to write something. And I said, Lyman, you said it all, but what do you want me to You did. They didn't make it up, Lyman, but what do you want me to say? So Lyman tells me, ah, blah, I love the fans, blah, blah, blah. So I crank out a, I crank out a piece for the afternoon paper uh, to to help him, uh, you know, hopefully. But unfortunately for him, the St. Paul dispatch never got across the river. It didn't, uh, it did. I don't know if that, the fans didn't get on him anyway. There weren't enough fans worrying about it, the St. Paul paper in the first place, but that's the kind of guy he was. And uh, last time, the, in, in, in 78, uh, the, the Angels were in town. Right. Late, late in September, and uh, I went down and talked to him for a while, but then he's leaving, and I... Uh, I'm on the other hall. I'm leaving the Twins clubhouse, and he's down at the other end, and he yelled at me, hey, Poison, be nicer to my buddies, because he had some of his, mm-hmm. Willie Norwood and some of his other friends were now the Twins outfielders, and they were not doing too well. And I said, all right, see ya. And they uh, came back, went down to Gary, Indiana. I went down to Chicago and went to see his relatives in Gary, Indiana, and got shot to death. Yeah, it's tragic, yeah. A driver riding in a car was a bad, uh, I did a 10-year anniversary piece on that that was, uh, I talked to the uncle who was with him in the car, and oh, that was a terrible thing, because he was a great guy. He was a great guy, a great player, too. Going to be a hell of a player. Well, he gave you a good name, Poison. Poison. I, I love that name. <laughs> Poison. Now, that's a nickname for a sports writer. And if you're talking to Poison, well, you just let the tape roll. So we did. Make sure to join us in a couple weeks for part two of our conversation with Patrick Royce. Thanks for listening to Press Box Access. You can find us here with a new episode every other Wednesday. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. We'd love for you to review us. Five stars would be nice. Follow us on social media. Drop us an email at pressboxaccess at gmail.com. And be sure to spread the word. Everyone is welcome here. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to executive producers Michael D'Aloya and Gerardo Orlando, producer Bill Hoffman, 
and our audio engineer, Nathan Corson. I'm your host, Todd Jones. It's closing time. Rock on. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Colby Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.